<laughs> All right, we're gonna see if this blue snowball microphone that I got lets us down or lifts us yeah, up. Yeah, I want I want to know because if it's good, then I should get one probably. I know you should. So I don't know. I think you know I have a little microphone icon here, and uh, I disconnected the microphone from my computer and. It still says I'm speaking, so I think that works, even though I wish they'd have a green light on the microphone, because I think of green as work, but then it has a red light, but that's like old-fashioned camera-y stuff, I think. Yes. Anyway, hello, a walk in the park listeners. It's Babs. Uh, and this is Riss, and I just want to say something very special is happening right now. I, they, our listeners can't see it, but I am in one of my favorite chairs, if not my favorite chair in the house. Do you know why, Babs? Can you I do know why now. I do know why. <laughs> because I gave it to you. That's right. And it's nice and comfy up here. I got a blanket. I got my computer. I got my wine. And it's like, it's so nice. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, so this is uh, season six, episode two. And if you listen to the first episode of the season, you'll know that Chris and I are trying out some new formatting. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll kick it off. Okay. And I'll do my, you know, in my news intro to my currently on my mind. It's very thrilling. So I hope, (laughs) I hope everybody can follow what I'm saying because it's, it's, it's a deep dive. It's a deep dive. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. It's a doozy, people. Currently on my mind, the debt ceiling crisis and the potential confusion some people might have about it because the Republicans are trying to tie it to spending cuts, which President Biden and the Democrats maintain is a separate discussion. First, per the Department of Treasury, the debt limit is the total amount of money that the United States government is authorized to borrow to meet its existing legal obligations including things like Social Security and Medicare benefits, military salaries, interest on the national debt, and tax refunds. Raising the debt limit does not authorize new spending commitments. It simply allows the government to finance existing legal obligations that Congresses and presidents of both parties made in the past. At the beginning of the month, President Biden and newly elected Speaker of the House Republican Kevin McCarthy met to discuss raising the debt ceiling, that is again the amount the United States government is allowed to borrow to pay its obligations. McCarthy and his fellow Republicans are demanding cuts to government spending without providing details as to what should be cut by how much. And if they don't get their way, they have threatened to let the country default on its legal obligations. If Congress does not raise the debt ceiling, something that Congress has done 78 separate times since 1960 under both Republican and Democratic presidents, The government will default on its legal obligations for the first time in American history. The potentially disastrous consequences of doing so to both the U.S. and global economy are concerning. People who support the Republicans' threat not to raise the debt ceiling are actually promoting financial irresponsibility, saying, sure, let's shirk our obligations like a deadbeat parent not paying child support. Raising the debt ceiling is not a blank check to go out and spend more money. How many Americans actually understand how government spending works? There are two basic categories of spending, mandatory and discretionary. The terms describe the type of funding and how it is allocated. According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, a nonpartisan research and policy institute, 
about 63% of the federal budget is mandatory or direct spending, where the law that authorizes a program also determines its funding. For mandatory programs, you have to amend the relevant law to adjust the funding levels set in that law. Mandatory programs include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, federal military and civilian retirement, veterans, disability compensation, and more. Social Security makes up approximately 23% of federal spending, Medicare 14%, Medicaid and related subsidies 12%, and other mandatory programs 14%. I know this is a lot. A lot of information, <laughs> but we, we need it. We need it. Um, there is my comments on discretionary spending. I don't see them here. However, I can share with you that discretionary spending is not, the funding levels are not set in the law that sets up and authorizes the program. It is determined annually by appropriations. And so every year, the respective committees in the House and the Senate, the appropriations committees decide how much they're going to give to fund defense, let's say. And that's not a yes or no choice. It's not, oh, we won't fund defense this year. It's just certain programs, the funding is determined every year by those representatives on that committee and others, it's just mandatory already built into the law. So should Congress and the president work in a bipartisan manner to reduce the deficit as President Bill Clinton did when he balanced the budget in the 1990s? That would be great. In the meantime, no one should be spreading misinformation that Biden is solely responsible for our current federal deficit. He is not. Measuring debt by president is one way to add, one way is to add up their budget deficits. Remember, deficit is different from debt. Deficits are budget shortfalls that add to the debt. The U.S. government collected less than it spent. By the percentage, the two presidents in your lifetime and mine, Rissa's, were who increased the national debt the most by accumulating budget deficit after budget deficit are Ronald Reagan, a 186% increase over his predecessor, Jimmy Carter, with his supply-side economics failure, and George W. Bush, a 101% increase over his predecessor, Bill Clinton, with his multi-trillion dollar war on terror. Finally, I know, one amusing sounding solution to avert the crisis if the Republicans do not agree to raise the debt ceiling would be for Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to mint, wait for it, Riss, a $1 trillion platinum coin and deposit it with the Federal Reserve. (laughs) Minting money is different from borrowing money, so voila, a loophole. But thus far, Yellen has dismissed that as a realistic option. And that, my podcast pal listeners, is my long-winded explanation of what is currently on my mind regarding the debt ceiling crisis. So riddle me this. I was thinking about it because I I read your notes earlier today. And I guess my main question is, because I think there's some truth to this. I'm shocked that McCarthy would even come into Biden's office with the idea that they have to cut federal spending, even though he was part of the Republican, same Republican Party that approved two major spending bills that went, was it two in the last two years because of COVID? Yeah, there were at least two. I mean, there might have been three. I mean, Trump definitely had one and Biden has had one. Trump's was bigger. Um, right. 
But so my thought is if you're part of the party that's comfortable getting on board and helping people and saying, hey, listen, you're right. We have to spend this money because we have to, we have COVID happened. That's just, that's just what it is. It is what it is. Um, then you should be part of the solution rather than trying to blame Biden for it because you were part of the approval process in the legislative branch of this country. So don't, I don't like the blame game and that's all this is becoming. Well, right. And it goes into, it feeds into, you know, kind of the old cliches of, you know, the Democrats are the tax and spend party and the Republicans are the fiscal responsibility party, which is, I mean, neither one of those things is true. I mean, both Democrat and Republican presidents in our lifetime have raised and cut taxes. And I mean, the the bottom line is when you cut taxes, the federal government takes in less revenue and therefore it can't afford to pay all of its bills and it has to borrow money to do so. You know, the U.S. Department of Treasury issues bonds and um, I'm trying to remember what other financial vehicles they use, but to the American people and say, hey, buy these, you're loaning us money so we can continue to operate the government and, you know, you're loaning it to us for X number of time, and then we'll pay you back with a little interest. Um, hey, listen, my like I said, I pointed out they were part of the approval process, and they all jumped on board, even though they. I remember them specific. This is specifically with this last bill that was passed. They complained about it. They didn't like it, but they approved it. So now they have to find if if they're going to do what they think they're going to do. If they're going to try and find ways to cut, it shouldn't be into things like Medicare and Medicaid. And not unless you're going to find faults with the system. Like maybe there's there's a lot of um, corruption. I get that. If you want to go down that path, I'm all for it. But you can't just cut people off when you were part of the process of approving getting people what they needed during that time. So now you really are going to have to fix it. It's like I said, I mean, basically the debt ceiling is, you know, paying for stuff that you've already bought on credit. Right. Yeah. You're not going to pay for it. It's like, yeah, that ship has sailed. You already authorized that spending. It already happened. You know, now you actually, you know, have to, continue to be able to pay your debts. You're not, you're not bringing in enough money. Um, I don't know. This country has never like Bill Clinton's the only one who's balanced the budget ever. I think. Um, So it's possible to do, but I don't know. We'll see the, the real problem I have with this is that I think people are somehow thinking, Oh, you just keep raising the debt ceiling and, you know, I mean, I guess I could see the argument where, well, if you know that it's always just going to be increasing, then it doesn't put a break on your spending. <laughs> but yeah, but it is still like it always gets to this crisis point or I know when and it, a I lot be- more often than usual, like seems to be happening almost every year. It does. It does seem to be a problem, which that's one of the things they're like, listen, you've just got to get away with this whole like that Congress even needs to authorize 
that it be lift, you know, be lifted or suspended or so that the U.S. government should, can continue to borrow. Like it should just be automatic. Right. Like, um, and of course, again, like I said, you can look where you can make cuts in spending, but it can't just be in, you know, the programs that are like discretionarily funded, like scientific, educational and medical research grants. You know, it's always right. The Republicans always want to cut the, the social programs first. They don't want you to touch defense. Right. But defense is a big part of the budget. Like, right. I mean, it's besides Social Security, it's the biggest part of the federal government budget. So, right. Um, you know, if you spread things out proportionally, defense would also have to take a hit. Um, but anyway, all right, enough on the debt ceiling crisis. Uh, but that's just, it's it's looming because right now the Secretary of the Treasury, as I mentioned, uh, Janet Yellen, she is literally doing some crafty accounting to allow the U.S. government to have until June, you know, before the crisis really hits. I have to tell so, you, I think anybody that can do that is really smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think you'd have to be pretty good at it to be the, to get to be secretary. What of type of degree do you have to have? It's got to be both CPA and economics, right? Because probably mathematics. Mathematics. I don't know. Everything but, is like, but, whoa, that's amazing. Of course, that she has a lot of smart people working for her, hopefully. Sure, sure. But you have to be able to read the numbers and pull together a story. So it's I'm always I applaud those people. I used to work for financial planning and analysis for Lucent Technologies. And I always was mesmerized by how people could look at the numbers and build the story to tell the press at earnings. It was always like, how did they do that? <laughs> Let's see. Um... Where, where did she go? She, okay, this is interesting. Yellen enrolled at Pembroke College and Brown University, initially intending to study philosophy, and then she switched her plan major to economics. So I guess, yeah, she graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's in economics from Brown University, and then she got her master's and PhD in economics from Yale. So Yes, she's smart, well-educated, and it's economics. Not surprising. Wow. Not surprising. <sighs> but anyway, all right, Riss. So what, what do you have up in queue for us? Oh, well, my current situation. The college process is complete. After six months of struggling with our son to decide his college fate, he has accepted the opportunity to study abroad. He will be studying digital communications and playing tennis for the Rome City Institute in the heart of Rome, Italy. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. He will be studying in the morning and playing tennis all afternoon, being immersed in the Italian language and culture. And uh, it's a three-year degree as opposed to a typical four-year degree. And we are very excited for him. So a little it's, overwhelmed, but you know what? I'll worry about that when it comes to dropping him off right that's now. Right. I'm, just, I'm happy he made the decision and we could just kind of take a sigh of relief because that was a big step forward. It is so exciting. Have they given you an official calendar yet? 
No, but it should be. I, I, you know what? To be fair, it'll probably come out within the next month or so. I hope so, because we need to know, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it'll be within a day or two of what it currently is. It's not going to change much. It's not. Oh, what was it currently? Uh, I think it started August 29th was like the first day of school. Ah, gotcha. So kind of, yeah, end of August time frame. Yeah. Cool. It is very exciting. Very, very exciting. And um, yeah, so the school itself is working with us right now. Um, Within the next couple of days, we'll get the process for the visa. And um, I have to work on his passport because it does expire in July. But um, interesting enough, I wonder when you have a student visa is different than a working visa, correct? Correct. Oh, okay. So I was like, so wow, with I wonder if he... visa, he would not be allowed to work in Italy. Right. He would need to get a working visa. Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, that is super, super cool. I feel like we need to plan you know, a group trip to Italy and tag along on one of the times you go visit him. <laughs> we're, we're all, I, the ladies last night at dinner were already discussing that. So I okay. said, you know, it's kind of funny. We should all go beforehand and just test it out for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually might be pretty close to Italy this summer. If we decide to go to Paris, there's a conference that Jonathan might decide to speak at. Oh, that's we, awesome. We were going to go. There's a town. I want to say it's called Ancelli. It's still in France, but it's over by the Swiss border. And oh. then once you're, once you're in the Geneva area, you know, you're a hop, skip and a jump to Italy. But my goal Lovely. is to try to get to countries that I haven't been to, I told you, <laughs> which, you know, he just told me today that he's now going in April to Portugal for work. So that'll be like country number 12 that he's been without me. It's like, I'm so bitter. (laughs) Do you know, it's funny that you have a goal of getting to other countries. Chris has a goal of dipping his toes in every major ocean. Nice. So he's done several of them. I think he's just, he needs to go to the Indian ocean. He hasn't done that yet. I think I've, I think I've done that. I was, uh, because the Indian ocean, uh, I went to Durban, South Africa and I believe yes. is the Indian ocean. So I've yes. done Pacific Atlantic, Indian. What are the other ones? Well, I, I would imagine if you go to either pole, right? Those are, those, yeah, is there, or those are more like straights. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. That's a good question. It's got to be more than three. I feel like there's maybe there's four. Let's see. How many major oceans? This is not. I've only done yeah, two. four. Okay. So the Arctic. Oh, okay. Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, Arctic. So I've done, although they said most countries, including the United States, now recognize the Southern Antarctic as the fifth ocean. Okay. So they call that it's the Southern. So Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, Arctic, and Southern, which, I mean, I guess mm, 
I'm like, I was in Alaska. If I stuck my foot in the water, was that the Arctic or was that the uh, Pacific still? I don't know. That's a good question. That's hard. You know, oceans, where are their boundaries? It's a little hard to to figure out. But I bet the Arctic Ocean must be probably like up around Iceland or something. Because it's got to be above the Arctic Circle. So, which a lot, part of Alaska is above the Arctic Circle, but I don't think I was in that part. And I certainly wasn't stepping in water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right. All right. Back on track. Back on track. Let's see. The next part of our podcast, the currently consuming part, I'll share my, I'll share my intro, intro there. Currently consuming is climate fiction. I want to read all climate fiction, which is really dystopian fiction, because as I shared in our last podcast, climate change and its consequences are my newest obsession. I just finished a book called The Light Pirate. Catastrophic weather conditions resulting from climate change caused the U.S. government to abandon the state of Florida and let it return to its natural condition, swampland. It just became too difficult to continue to rebuild after catastrophic weather events. And of course, the country's infrastructure wasn't great. Anyway, the story follows the life of a girl born during a hurricane who remains in Florida her entire life, eventually living in the trees because the entire state of Florida is underwater. I'm not really describing the characters of the plot, but it was all compelling. And this was a five-star read for me. That's The Light Pirate by Lily Brooks Dalton. Oh, okay. Highly recommend. I'm not going to lie. I was a little drawn in because, of course, it was set in Florida where I live now. I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen? The U.S. government's going to abandon us. They're like, forget it. We're not repairing the power grid for Florida anymore. (laughs) There are no services. Towns are shutting down. Miami was the first to go. And then it was a ripple effect. Oh, And you know what? It's funny. Now that we're talking about this. And we're talking about our mutual friend who, thankfully, she didn't lose everything in the la- that really bad last right, hurricane. Yes, but hurricane she's Ian. going through, she's helping other people. I know. And doing really cool stuff. Um, but it's funny because it relates back to the debt ceiling and things that programs that the Republicans would want to cut. And I wonder how that would feed into FEMA because FEMA and everything they receive, if you look at the long-term, you could say that this is a stretch, but it, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> if you look at climate change, then that they would have to fund even more. Because we are going to have a lot of problems on our coasts across the board, regardless of where you look. And they're going to have to feed. And FEMA only, you know, they only give so much money. Yes. So one could say, listen, if you don't look at climate change, then you're going to have to spend more money on the back end. Right. So, and we've already entered the red zone of where absolutely coastal coastlines are going to change. We've already passed the point where we can stop that damage. So towns, homes that are right on the edge of the water, you know, 20, 30 years from now, they're not going to be habitable, perhaps. But, you know, you raised right. an interesting point because we can look at just even the last 10 to 15 years and 
Florida is fine because it's a Republican state, but basically the Republicans are anti-FEMA when it doesn't serve a state, you know, that they care about, a Democratic right. state, for example. I don't know if you remember way back in 2012, Hurricane Sandy, and I believe it was Senator Ted Cruz who voted against giving money to New York and New Jersey to help them recover from Hurricane Sandy. Oh, but yeah. Then, but then not long after when Texas was hit by a horrible hurricane, all of a sudden, you know, FEMA needed to give money to Texas. Right, right. You know, they deserved it. And it's just like, you know, it's just so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, FEMA would be a program. It would be a civilian agency that's probably funded uh, as part of the discretionary budget. So every year, you know, certain amount of dollars gets appropriated to FEMA and maybe it's enough and maybe it isn't. But yep, climate change, man, it is on my mind. And yeah, it is. <laughs> I, will read, I will read about it till the cows come home. And they won't come home eventually because they won't have any land because it's all underwater. <laughs> what about you? You got any currently consuming thoughts to share with us? I thought I did, but it's not as impressive. Oh, um, uh, I can talk about this one stupid thing, roundabouts and traffic. Nice. Those are not stupid. Those are everywhere. All right. So I live in what was once a very rural area, which is now very built up. And you used to live here specifically with residential areas and pockets of outside mall living. This goes without saying, but the build out by our local and state Department of Transportation has been poor at best. The main roads are always congested and we only have side roads to get around, which are even worse. And now the main answer to these issues are roundabouts. So we have several roundabouts in place around here that have been here for a, a, a while. And one is on a main thoroughfare. And I use it every morning to get to work. So it's a double lane roundabout. And Chris, I consider him an excellent driver. He, we were in the roundabout and something happened where they decided they were gonna close off one of the lanes, but they didn't direct the traffic properly. And we almost had a, like a major accident. <laughs> so this has been going on and I'm like, Chris said it perfectly. He said, you know what? If instead of rebuilding the roundabout, you could just send out a major communication to everybody in the area saying, this is what's happening and this is how to use a roundabout. But they don't do that. They just shut things down without really telling you. And then you hear about it on these various websites like Next Door Neighbor and I don't know, whatever. But they've been doing a lot of weird things like there's this one left turn that you have to take coming out of our girlfriend's neighborhood or her street. And they always had an extra lane for you to turn into mm -hmm. so that you can avoid, you could at least get onto the street as traffic was coming. Right. Well, they took that lane away. because Where is this exactly? Uh, Green Road. It's that really weird side street going they towards- They took Milton. that left turn lane away? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. They just put that in within the last like five years, I thought. Yeah, they took it down. So now you just have to make a left turn into traffic again. That is so weird. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's bizarre. And I'm wondering, like, it, uh, it's just so frustrating because people just don't know how to use, drive in general. And then you, you, you change it and they get used to it. And then they take it away because of something that happens. And I don't, that's their answer. Hmm. They're not proactive, they're reactive. So I don't know what the deal is. It's awful. It's this area is just awful. I just want to move to the moon. I might do that. <laughs> the basic problem here is you need to uh, start consuming information about how to uh, roll back roundabouts, stop construction of roundabouts. <laughs> I Well, either that or you have to teach people how to use them because nobody knows how to use them. I don't know. I remember one of my friends and I thought, oh my gosh, that's something that I would not have thought of. She grew up in Georgia and she said when she's in a roundabout, she uses her blinker. Mm-hmm. So, but that never occurred to me. It was like, well, I'm in the roundabout and you know, if I'm here, I have the right of way. So you've just got to wait until I go by you, or maybe I don't, maybe I get off, you know, before you. And I guess I could see how it could help some people, although in a two lane roundabout, I think that's just too dicey because it's like, oh, well, I could be using my blinker, but then somebody, and I'm going right off the roundabout because we know you always go right off of roundabouts. Right. And, uh, but somebody <laughs> in, in the inside lane, well, because you're going in a circle. So it's yeah, all, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. And so I and I will have to say I really don't use my blinker in the roundabout, but I thought it was if interesting. I know I'm making if I'm stay I try to, I try to, if if it's a two-lane roundabout. I want to give people the opportunity to know that I'm 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 coming out of the roundabout or I'm staying in. Right. Which can be hard if it's a small roundabout. That's what I was literally just thinking. I'm like, that can get very confusing for people because it's like, you've put it on going off this one, but right. no, you're putting it on because you're going off one right. in 60 feet. Wow, that was interesting. Did you hear yeah. that reverb? I don't know if that was my microphone. Did I get too close to it? No. No, I think something happened with the Wi-Fi or it just like. Uh, it, maybe. Yeah. It just maybe. Kinda, I don't know times good times all right so we move on we've already done a little bit about this we're still working the kinks out but the life share part of our podcast share so this care. Is life share. yeah <laughs> it's my share care that's right uh, my life share care now today i'm going to share about memories i've started a daily facebook project for the month of february it's a then and now thing back in february 2013 i was posting on facebook daily It has been years since I've been on Facebook regularly, but I'm a fan of then and now. So for this month, I'm sharing what I posted each day in 2013 with a current post. I know it will entertain me years from now when I look back, assuming Facebook or Meta still exists. To be sure, though, I started downloading my Facebook file, so I will always have the memories. Memories, all (laughs) alone in the moonlight. (laughs) You know I had to do that. (laughs) yeah but i do appreciate all the memories because i like seeing the kids as babies they're not you haven't posted like real baby pictures what i'm saying is 
it's so much fun to see them as littles as opposed to adults. Right. Well, yeah. And so with each post, I mean, some of the posts that I made in February 2013 came with pictures, but like the one I posted today, the post that I shared 10 years ago didn't have a picture in it, but I went and found pictures of the girls from 2013 so I could put it in there. Because I feel like right. I feel like posts, then and now posts are just better with pictures. Oh, yeah. Now, if I'm not talking about my kids, because I don't think I posted about them every single day in February 2013. We'll see what kind of pictures I can come up with. <laughs> uh, It'll be good times, good times. Well, were yes. there any more life shares you wanted to share before we segued over to sports? Get a little more. Uh, no, I'm sure there's other stuff, but it was a week, so let's move forward into. Sports. I was like, you don't want to, you don't want to out the people at your work. <laughs> Well, no, okay. because I, okay, so I'll just, I'll read what I wrote. As <laughs> I've mentioned in prior episodes, I recently got a part-time gig, thanks to our friend Jojo. This part-time job is in a dermatology office, and I do front desk work, both checking in patients and also managing incoming phone calls. This past week was a doozy, and I plan on keeping a log of all the shenanigans. The people, <laughs> the things that people call in, it's, it's okay. All right. This was actually last week. So I get a phone call from a woman. I pick up the phone and I say, dermatology, how can I help you? And the woman says, oh, hi. I, I had an appointment today. How do you feel like coming? And I'm like, okay. All right. Reco- I'm recovering. I'm like, well, how can I help you, ma'am? Do you want to reschedule? Oh, no. No, 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 no. I, I, I can't do that. But She's like, I would like to come in and have somebody check out my kidneys. So I was like, <laughs> ma'am, this, you, you know, this is a dermatology office. We don't, we don't check on kidneys. And she's like, why not? It's, <laughs> I just need someone to check. You don't check. Can't you just check my kidneys? I, and then she goes, I have two. Um, okay. First of all, okay, now I have to ask, did this woman sound elderly? No, she sounded like she was like in her 50s or 60s. Like she sounded like, I would say relatively young. Okay, because- No, because I thought in the beginning at first, I thought, all right, well, maybe maybe she is elderly and she doesn't know what's going on. Right. Or maybe she's on drugs. So I said, ma'am, I said, we don't, we don't check kidneys here. That's just not a thing. And she goes, well, where do I get that checked? I said, well, for starters, you can call your primary doctor and they can direct you. She's like, oh, I don't want to have to do all that. <laughs> I just want to come in to get my kidneys checked. And I said, man, this isn't the office for that. And I'm sorry, I can't direct you better, but you're just going to have to start with your primary doctor. And she's like, oh, all right, fine. Click. And that was that. But it's like, I get things like that all the time. That is very strange. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. This is, a, oh, wait, this is where it, okay. So this week, this is why this week in particular was easy. I'm at the front desk. I'm checking people in, in this uh, older gentleman, very well-dressed, very well-kept, uh, like a three-piece suit, like um, 
a handkerchief, like almost looked like a lawyer. Okay. Uh-huh. You wound up being a CPA. So that's close. It's close. <laughs> he says he walks in the door with his phone and he's got his, he's, he's flailing his hands about. And he's like, I need help. I need help. I, I was just threatened in the parking lot. Do you have a so-and-so working here for your office? And I said, um, no. And he's like, well, do you have a client that, that, and I said, sir, even if I did have a patient here by that name, I can't tell you that. So he's like, well, I, I was just threatened in the parking lot. I was like, well, sir, tell me what happened. And I, so he's like, I, I, I was threatened by a woman who said that if I don't give her all the contacts in my phone, she would, um, she would, oh, what's the word? She would cut my phone off and then remove all the contacts and send my contacts out to people if I didn't give her $3 million. And this woman also gave him her name so that he could come in and ask if you had somebody there. Oh, all right. So, all right, but wait a second. Fabs, this is this is how bad I am. I literally laughed in his face. <laughs> as la- I was, I just blurted out, I started laughing. And he was, I said, I'm really sorry, sir, but that is that doesn't make any sense. I said, listen, I said, you need to call the police. So somebody was really out there threatening you, you need to just call the police. Well, she she did something to my phone and I can't use it. And he showed it to me. And I said, well, sir, if you can't use your phone, why don't you try turning it off? And then when you turn it back on, if it's not working, you can go ahead and use the phone here at the front desk to call the police. But this is this is all very bizarre to me. Also, how does he know that she came into that office? Did he follow her? Okay, so as it turns out, as it turns out, he goes on, he turns on his phone and as he's turning on his phone, he says to me, the woman that threatened me must have known that I fired my secretary last week. I was on vacation and somebody in the office fired her and they were threatening, this woman was threatening me because she wanted, I guess, this woman's job back or something, but she must have been related to her somehow. Okay. So I said, oh, okay. I said, all right. So I calmed him down a little bit. And then he starts to tell me, but I'm here to see Norma, which is one of our doctors. So I said, all right, well, why don't you go ahead and check in? (laughs) So he checks in, he goes back to the office. And my office manager comes to the front and she goes, Marissa, can I see you for a second? I said, sure. And I'm just like dying at this point. So I, I, she asked me, what just is going on? We have the police coming. So I'm like, Wendy, this is what happened. So I tell him, I tell her, she goes, all right, well, when the police show up, just, you know, send them my way. They might ask you some questions. And I said, fine. So the police officer comes in maybe five, maybe five minutes later. Really nice, very handsome young guy. Wow, that is some and, serious response time for a you know non-threat yeah. emergency. Right. 
So he shows up and he's like, hi, ma'am, I'm here to talk to Wendy. And I said, sure. And he goes, well, before I see her, can you tell me a little bit about what happened? I'm like, sure. So I tell him what happened. He goes, did you see the, the person who was threatening him? I said, I did see a white SUV and I kind of saw him talking to somebody, but she was out of my line of sight. I didn't see anybody, but he was out there talking. To him. Oh, okay. All right. So I send them back. He goes back. He talks to the patient. He talks to my office manager and he comes back out about, I don't know, 15 minutes later. And he's like, all right. He just had a couple more questions. He was just like, so you didn't see any that I said, no. And he goes, all right. So he goes out with the patient. He, they talk for a little while. The patient goes away. He comes back in the cop and he starts talking to me. And he's like, is there anything else you need me to know? And I said, no, but don't you want to leave maybe your card with us or your phone number in the event this person shows back up? And he looks at me and he goes, no, I don't think that's going to be a problem. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right, then we're good. And he's like, yeah, we're good. Have a lovely day. And I was like, okay, you too. That was that. So now my office manager comes in and the ladies are coming up to me and they're like, what the hell happened? And I told them, they're like, oh my God. So now we're all still waiting on pins and needles because the, the doctor that he went to go see, they're good friends. The patient and the doctor are good friends. So we're okay. waiting to find out if she has any information, but maybe she can't tell us because that's her. Patient. Right, right. So it was like, that was, that was my Tuesday morning. That happened at like 9.30. Wow. Okay. Also just super weird, but interesting because if the person that threatened him was related to the fired secretary somehow, then I guess that could explain why she knew where he would be on Tuesday morning, because maybe his appointment was in the calendar. Right. And he did mention that. Because I am trying to figure out like how this is all happening and that that would explain it. But in right. which case, if the man knows her name, then he should have told that to the police and they could go talk to this person directly. Right. I'm just and thinking, that's why would I... the person threatening him give him her name? <laughs> well, not unless he messed up when he in his frazzled brain. Right. Give me the name of the person who fired. Fired. Why secretary. would that person have any relation to our office? Right. Well, yeah. Why? Why was he asking if that person came in here? Right. 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 So I, it was all a little like bizarro world because, like right. I said, he, that's why I laughed. I thought he was kidding. <laughs> and then when he went into the back, and my girlfriend came up front, she goes, "I know him." He's a good friend of the doctor. They right. know each other really well. And he's very flamboyant and outgoing and gregarious. Whenever he comes in here, he's always got a story to tell. That's what I thought he was doing with you. And I said, no, oh. he was very serious. That's why they called the cops. And she goes, right. Oh. <laughs> well, they also might have heard you laughing and thinking he was telling a good story. Right. Oh my God, Babs, when I say I laughed in his face, I felt awful afterwards. But then I'm like, no, because he's a lunatic. Why would he make, like, I, 
it just didn't seem plausible. Right. All of it. I was like thinking in my brain as he's telling me, I'm like, what is he even talking about? Like it didn't even make sense. <laughs> but then here's where it gets really like bad. This is where it gets bad. So we had um uh not a provider, but um uh, a pharmaceutical rep come in and buy us lunch. And we're all sitting around talking with him. And we told him the story and he goes, oh, listen, hey, I used to work in an office where somebody actually came in with a gun and threatened two women. Uh, Took them in the yeah. back and we had to call the, the police and the police came in and shot him. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. And now it got me to thinking, we don't have a panic button. We don't have any of that. No. And you live in Georgia. So yeah, I mean it's it was it was a it was a week. So yeah, I've had some crazy phone calls. I've yeah, I right. can go on. So I think what I'm just gonna do is start keeping a log. You should. These are this this could be you know content diamonds. You never know <laughs> diamonds, diamonds, <laughs> gems. Uh, uh-huh. All right. Well, we've got to kick it over to sports now because last time we chatted so much we didn't even get to talk about sports and you know what's on my top of my list is Tom Brady retiring again for the second (laughs) and probably final official time yeah this is final I think it was upsetting not surprising I was more prepared for it this year but I feel like it's probably going to hit me later in the year you know when it's time to start football again and I'm like where's Tom now where's Tom Supposedly, you know, he has this 10-year contract with Fox to be a commentator. So, but it's unclear how soon he's going to start that. Because right now, Fox has this team, which Jonathan and I were not impressed with them. So, Fox, oh, By the you- way, this team has grown from four men. I think it started out with two, like 10 years ago. And now it's like, if how many are on screen now? 10? Or is it? Oh, a- I don't know. Yeah, they have they have different people. Like they have people in the studio, they have people on the sidelines. But this is like the people- Gronk is on on like it's like it's eight of them talking at halftime. Yeah, that's the halftime show. So that's different. I'm talking about the commentators who are in the booth calling the game for you, and that's oh, always yeah. like two people. And Fox used to have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but then I Joe love and- them. I know, but now they barely do football. They jumped ship, went to ESPN. They only do Monday night football. And as Jonathan pointed out to me the other day, they don't do any playoff because ESPN doesn't have any of the football playoff games. Uh. You've got Kevin Burkhart, who to my mind is a nobody, and Greg Olson, who is a former NFL player. But it's not like they're a spectacular announcing duo. Frankly, Greg talks too much. I have to mute the game sometimes because I'm like, Greg, that's enough talking. It's not that what he's saying isn't relevant, you know, but it's just like, sometimes it's too much. Like people want to watch the game and don't want to hear you yammering the whole time. Right. Um, But yeah. So now there's all this stuff online. It's like, what's going to happen to Greg Olson? Cause I believe Tom's contract is, you know, to put him in the booth, not put him like on the halftime show. Um, I'd like to see him in the booth. I think he'd be good. I wonder if he'd be good. I mean, I feel like he's been practicing because, you know, he has his own podcast. So I feel like he's been practicing. He obviously 
super knowledgeable. Um, like, I think that when I look at Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, they grew into their roles. And I think I like them, the not maybe the most, but I do appreciate them. Because um, Troy didn't start out as strong as he is now. And that could be with Tom Brady. But Tom Brady is very personable. I think that if you put him with the right personality, he can talk and right. be pretty good about it. So we'll, we can, we'll see. Yeah. So we'll see. It's interesting. You know, I have this fantasy football group and we have this group me thread. And when I, I obviously I posted something to the group when Tom retired and I was just like, yeah, I just hope he lasts longer in his commentator career than Breeze did. Cause you know, Drew Breeze had a contract. And basically after one year, he was out. And one of the women on in the fantasy football group is a huge Saints fan and a Breeze fan. And she felt I was attacking Breeze apparently because her response was, I would have hoped that Tom worked on his marriage like Breeze did. Ouch. Well, first of all, I just completely ignored it because I was like, well, he's divorced. So I don't see what marriage he's working on. Right. That had anything to do with his commentator gig. Right. Um, but unless she was trying to imply, like, maybe that's why Giselle wanted a divorce, because after retiring, Tom was going to, you know, have a job for 10 years talking about football. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, again, is only a certain number of weeks out of the year, right? I mean, right. Football's only on for a certain number of weeks. But anyway, yes, so Tom Brady retired, and then Novak, yes, won the Australian Open, Novak Djokovic. And do you know, Jonathan told me that he had a hamstring tear. Yep. That's why why it was wrapped. I couldn't believe it. They're like the MRI, because people are so mean to Novak. It's like, you know, they see him taped or something, and they, like, think he isn't really injured, or he's just like, you know. I don't even know what they think, but it's like Jonathan said he read Goran, you know, Goran Ivanisevic, one of Djokovic's coaches said like anybody else when they learned that they had a hamstring tear would have pulled out of the tournament. I mean, it's amazing. He won that whole tournament and he had a serious injury. Yeah, but Nadal would have done that too. Would he have? Because he pulled out. Of course, because he's. He's played with injuries before now that he's, he's much older than Novak. No, he's, he's literally a year older than him. They were both born in May and uh, this year, Nadal will be 37 and Djokovic will be 36. They're like literally born a week, a week and a year apart. So they're not (laughs) Novak is just in better shape than Nadal overall. And over the years has taken much better care of his body than anyone else. Right. Right. So, I mean, he, he's the, he's the Tom Brady of tennis, Marissa, because he is all about flexibility, pliability, stretching. But yeah, and I mean, Nadal pulled out of the Australian Open because he couldn't play through his injury. Like, wasn't, he's what was just his, got an easy road ahead of him. Was it him? Back. I don't know. I don't know how many more tournaments Nadal has in him. I don't know. Oh, no, I'm talking about Djokovic. No, I, Nadal should, I, um, Nadal should just quit after the French Open. He should, if if he plays it at all. I mean, I think he'll want to play. I wonder, like, for 
Djokovic, he's very clear. It's very important to him to win majors. But when he retires, he wants to hold the solo record for most major titles. Right, like, right. That's his goal. I've never heard Nadal state that goal. Right. So, but the reality is, I mean, you'd think Nadal just isn't going to be able to keep playing, I think. Yeah, no. At a high level. And the only reason he's ahead of Novak at this point is because Novak didn't get to play Australia last year. Right. So, and he didn't get to play the U.S. Open. So, which Nadal didn't win the U.S. Open, but you know. So yeah, those are my, those are my big, uh, my big sporting, sporting news that have been consuming me. Uh, and then, cause I don't give a crap about the Super Bowl anymore. Chiefs, Eagles snore. I don't care. Well, I'm, I'm secretly praying for the Chiefs to win, but I think everybody is. And I mean, honestly, I guess like maybe that's my preference because I do hate the Eagles so much, but I don't, I don't want Mahomes to get another Super Bowl win. Jonathan had the audacity to suggest that Mahomes was ahead of Tom's Super Bowl pace if he won this year, but I corrected him because he is so wrong, of course. Oh, but that's only if Mahomes can keep out of being injured. That dude is injured in every single frigging game he plays. Is this he? last one, he was... He was limping around while he was playing this last well, game. Well, no, because he—that's because he got that high ankle sprain. But I don't think he's a wreck. And I, really, I don't think so. I think that was his only injury this year. Yeah, I feel like he's all. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I mean, I don't think he missed. I literally don't think he missed a single game due to injury. So he couldn't have been that injured. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Anyway, he's not on pace because Tom had already won three Super Bowls before Mahomes is 27. And by the time Tom was 26, he had already won three Super Bowls. So Mahomes with, excuse me, one Super Bowl is not on Tom Brady pace. And, but I don't even want anybody to have two Super Bowls because you know what? That's just getting a little too close to Tom. Two, two is closer to seven than one. I know that Tom, Tom Brady has more Super Bowls than all current active quarterbacks combined. Wow. But <laughs> I read somewhere, but then somebody said, no, that's not true. Cause Jimmy Garoppolo got a ring with Tom in new England, which that is true. But if you're talking about backup quarterbacks, then, you know, I don't know that that really counts. Right. Uh, I don't know. So, anywho. Anyhow. Yep, yep, yep. What about you? You got any sports in your life right now that you want to talk about? Uh, personal sports. I'm playing mixed doubles with Chris. <laughs> personal sports. I love it. Personal sports, but that's about it. We're then knock on wood. We're three for three, so it's good. Sweet. Is it fun? Actually, playing with him is it's a little tense uh-huh. because actually he's really nice to me, but he gets really mad at himself. But I think I get mad at myself too. But I think we were knock on wood, we're good together. We play well together, so that's all that matters. That because uh-huh. the first first match we played, we came off the court winning. At, oh, this is hilarious! This is a short story. 
we were playing against two younger younger people by at least 15 years and they were very very athletic and they were pretty good and we just beat them on strategy really and when we came off the court the wife was really nice she put her her hand to shake our hands mm-hmm. and the husband <laughs> he was so mad that he lost he blew right in between all of us through our handshakes wow Oh, yeah, it was embarrassing. Like, she just looked at him like, what the hell is your problem? And that was her husband. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it was kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Ooh. But is what, you know what it, I heard there with strategy? The first thing that popped into my head was those old ladies on Alto in their knee braces who would beat everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you and Chris aren't wearing knee braces and you aren't in your 70s, obviously. Right. But- that just made me think of that. <laughs> Good stuff. So yeah, that's about it. That's about it for now. All right. Well, this has been our longest podcast episode in a while. I'll be interested to hear if this microphone actually worked and recorded anything. Otherwise, I'll just be releasing, you know, your side of the story, Riss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which could also be very interesting. Could be. It could be. Although I guess I'd have to edit out the long pauses where you couldn't hear me. <laughs> no. This is where if I had, you know, better skills, it's like if that's what happened, I could go in and like edit myself in. And be like, this is where I said. <laughs> <sighs> oh my goodness. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye for now.